Let us pray. Shatter the silence, mighty God, with your glad and glorious greetings. Banish all our fears and give us faith in Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. If there is anything said this morning that is against your will, let it come to naught and do no harm. But if there is anything said this morning that is according to your will, let it be heard, as if sung by the voice of angels, that hearing we might believe, and believing be more loving. Amen. Now, when I wrote to the congregation to introduce this sermon series, I did so in a letter. I shared about how I had the privilege of sitting with one of our longtime members during her hospital stay. I was able to share this story, too, at her memorial service. See, her name was Ellen Michael, and she passed away not long after the visit. The day before the visit, her son had come and and seen me. He was in tears. Her cancer had moved to her brain. And he said that they had weeks, maybe only days, left with her. So when I went to see her the next day, I was sort of amazed at how strong she was. Our conversation was vibrant. She carried most of it. If you knew Ellen, you knew that she loved cats, especially one named Julio that had sort of a reputation in the neighborhood. Yeah, a cat that had a reputation in the neighborhood. So we talked about Julio for quite some time. Ellen also had a knack for spotting antiques and collectibles. She built her collection from yard sales and flea markets. I knew this about Ellen. And so I asked her, what's your secret? Get there early, she told me. Smile, make a friend. I chuckled. I shared this with you in the letter that I wrote about the series and then also at her memorial service, as I said. It's a good secret. Get there early. Smile. Make a friend. It's a good secret, not just for yard sales, right? But for life. Pastors don't always get a chance to talk with someone directly before they die. Oftentimes, we rely on family and close friends to help us as we put together a memorial service, as we try to do our best to summarize a life. A week or so after Ellen died, another member, Sally Wright, passed away. I never met her in my life. She actually went on the inactive membership role at the church in 2009, not long after I arrived here. I hope it wasn't something I said. I met with her son, David, and he dialed in another of her sons, Tom, and we planned the service together. We exchanged some small talk. They told me she was born in Massachusetts, so naturally I asked if she was a Red Sox Sox fan. (laughs) She wasn't. (laughs) Even worse, 
their dad was a Yankee fan. And so she fell in love with his team to try and keep the peace in the house. I would have to find something else to write about. I asked a question that I ask so many times in these meetings. You're looking through so many pictures right now. If you came across one picture of her, one that you looked at and you said to yourself, there she is, that one is really her, what would be in it? Both boys said the same thing at the same time. A cat. Like Ellen, Sally loved animals. The boys went on and on about how much she loved animals. So much energy in their voices. Somewhere in there, perhaps I could find the words to summarize her life and that energy. In the introduction of this book that I'm inviting you to read, Life Worth Living, the author set before us a brief summary of three lives. Siddhartha, Gautama, Simon Peter, and Ida Wells. At the end of the introduction, they ask, if someone tried to summarize your life, how might they finish the sentence, above all, they were... If someone tried to summarize your life, how might they finish the sentence, above all, they were? It's one thing to do that if you were, as the author summarized, Siddhartha Gautama Buddha, and you were the privileged prince who became the venerable founder of one of the world's great traditions. Or Simon Peter, and you were the fallible follower of Jesus who became the rock on which the Christian church was built. Or Ida Wells, and you were the stable school teacher who became the truth-telling icon of black and women's liberation. But what about ordinary folks? <laughs> How do we summarize our lives? What if you were a graduate from a local university with a family and hopes for a beach house? What if you were a homeless man that spent hot afternoons at the stoplight? What if you were a, a normal teacher or engineer or nurse or doctor or policeman trying to get by, paying the bills, and keeping everyone happy? Yeah, it's easier if you're Peter and you became the first pope. But what if you were his brother, Andrew? You might not even know Andrew. Did you know Andrew was Peter's brother? If I would have stopped at the beginning of this sermon and said, Hey, come on, who, 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 who knows who's, what Peter's brother's name is? Many of you probably wouldn't have known. We know almost nothing about him. Except that he is Peter's brother. 
In fact, Andrew's name is mentioned 13 times in the Bible, and only once is it mentioned without Peter's being included too. The other time, that one other time, that time he's accompanied by Philip, which is almost worse, as if Andrew can't get one moment on his own. Andrew, Peter's brother, just another guy, a sidekick. Is that how we summarize his life? We know he's a fisherman. That's where Jesus calls out to Simon, Peter, and Andrew. He's on the shore, and they're fishing, they're, they're casting nets into the sea as they're known to do. Jesus is passing along the sea, and that's what the Gospel of Mark tells us. And it's not as if he's seeking them out or tracking them down, his potential recruits. It says that Jesus is just passing along. He's passing along and invites them to follow him, and he will make them fishers of men. Andrew, Peter's brother, just another guy, a sidekick his whole life, happened to be fishing that one day when Jesus passed by. Is that how we summarize his life? Andrew gets to say one sentence in the Bible. One sentence. It gets written in the Bible and is the one line that gets associated with him until the end of time. That's quite a lot of pressure on that one sentence, don't you think? It has the chance, that sentence has the chance to be the one way his life gets summarized over and above his tendency to be overshadowed. It's a lot of pressure on that sentence. Thankfully, it's a pretty good sentence. If you're going to be remembered for one sentence, if your life will be remembered for one sentence, you you have said. His sentence is not a bad one to be remembered for. What about you? I wonder if there's a sentence that you will be remembered for. Ellen had a good one. Get there early, smile, make a friend. What would yours be? Oh, there are sentences that you've said that will be all people will ever remember you for. <laughs> you can count on that, whether you like it or not. Will they be the kind of sentences that will summarize your life? Will you like the sentence that they choose for you? If not... Is there still time to change it? I bet there is. Like I said, Andrew's sentence was a pretty good one. 
It was right after he had listened to the preaching of John the Baptist and he runs to tell his brother Simon. You just had to know it was going to include Simon Peter. And he says, we have found the Messiah. That's it. That's his sentence. What a great sentence. We have found the Messiah. Now, what's even better is what happens next. As a result of that sentence, Simon went to see Jesus. And the rest is history, literally. The rest of it is the church's history. As Simon becomes Peter, who is the first pope of the church. Andrew, who should probably just go by Drew, (laughs) because he drew his brother to God. Come on. (laughs) Dad, humor on Father's Day. Come on. That should have been a much bigger laugh. Let's try that again. Andrew, who should probably just go by Drew, because he drew his brother to God. <laughs> hey, Al, when we do this, or, you know, let's make sure we clip that part in <laughs> for the online. That would be quite a way to be summarized, right? What a way to be summarized. He drew us to God. She drew us to God with, with, with who she was and what she was about, how she, how she loved mercy, how she did justice, how she walked humbly. What a sentence. He drew us to God. That's quite a, quite a way to be remembered for Andrew. That would be life worth living. To be the kind of person that made others come alive to the good news. That God is near. To help people to remember and experience how very near God is. It reminds me of what happened in some of Sally Wright's last hours. She was in the hospital on hospice from her stroke. And death was not far from her. Her youngest son, David, sat across from her motionless body and he waited. All there was to do was to listen to her breathing. She had been a great mom, an excellent bridge player, and a great lover of animals. He was going to miss her very much. In a moment, a small dog moseyed into her hospital room with a leash on, with no person attached to it. It startled David at first. Where did this dog come from? The dog cozied up to Sally and nuzzled her hand, and he thought he saw her try to pet that little dog. The dog shuffled over to David and 
took a pat on the head from him, and then he left the room. At first, David thought it was a therapy dog, but it was actually a dog that belonged to another patient under hospice care and had escaped. The dog's family rushed through the hall, apologizing to everybody. I don't think it was anything to apologize for, though. I think somehow it was God, the great animal creator, and Sally, the great animal lover, teaming up to show David that it was going to be okay, that God could be trusted to be present and alive to her and to him even as she was approaching death. That's how David saw it too. That with some of her last moments, she was drawing her son to God. What a thing to be remembered for. It put a period at the end of her sentence of a life worth living. To draw others to God in whatever way that makes you special, that is life worth living. Amen.